0: That one. All
1: right. So, welcome back. Welcome back to Detroit is Different Studios. Once again, Kari Way Frazier here with somebody that is, I think, a very unique entrepreneur in the sense of what he's doing and how he's doing it. Um, Most of what Detroit is different is based on As you all know, it's based on culture And when we think about culture We generally think about music We think about movies, we think about artistry But I also think entrepreneurship Is a big part of culture Because it takes a lot of guts It takes a lot of belief it takes a lot of spirit it takes a lot of energy it takes basically everything you need as an artist to be an entrepreneur and with what he's doing how he's doing it i think his story is very unique very unique in the sense that i have a doctor here today and a lot of people are doctors but they're doctors being that they got a phd and god knows what i mean there's people that have phds and All types of strange stuff, but this is an MD. An MD is different than a PhD, as many of you all may know. An MD is a medical doctor. That means that he served his time and he can actually help you in your life when it comes to what you need in health. And he's an old school doctor, meaning that he makes house calls. And when I say old school, I mean old school, like the idea of when we think about doctors and all of those old... um, American novels and everything like that. It immediately made me think when I met him of uh, the movie Field of Dreams and the guy Moonlight Graham uh, going, (laughs) making the house calls and everything. But I introduce you here at Detroit is Different to Dr. Paul Thomas. Dr.
0: Thomas, how you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. Thanks so much for having me on your show.
1: All right, all right. And then this is the other thing about Dr. Thomas, and I know you guys can hear it naturally, too. Dr. Thomas is like younger than me or something. You know what I'm saying? He's <laughs> like the uh, Tiger Woods, or I guess you could say the Doogie Hauser. It's funny. He's like, he's real life Doogie oh, Howser. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> a doctor, a young doctor, uh, went through his residency, um, and right now is one of the very few doctors in Metro Detroit. So let's talk about that. Off rip. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the city and why you're here in the city of Detroit, and how many doctors are here in the city of Detroit. So, what brought you to Detroit for your practice?
0: Yeah, I'm on a little bit of a mission here because there's only about 50 to 100 primary care doctors in the city of Detroit for 683,000 people. Mm-hmm. That's one doctor for every six to 12,000 people, mm. and it's just horribly underserved. You know. Um, on average there's one doctor for every about 580 people in Oakland County, mm. okay? And and across Wayne County there's one doctor for every 1,500 people. So when you're mm. talking one doctor for every 6,000 people to 12,000 people in Detroit, it's inexcusable and I'm here to in part address that uh, stark contrast, that underserved nature of the city.
1: Okay, how do you think it got to that point?
0: Well, it's based on repayment. You know, uh, Medicaid, Medicare, private insurers, they, they pay certain rates. And unfortunately, in the city of Detroit, you know, let's be real, there's about 50% of folks here are on Medicaid and it pays less than Medicare and private insurance. So when you're a doctor, you're, the only way you make money is by billing those insurance companies. So those doctors who want to make more money are gonna be in the suburbs. And mm-hmm. it's an unfortunate reality and a lot of people live that every day. If you need to see the doctor, you got to drive past eight mile or go over to Dearborn and Gross Point mm-hmm. to see one and it's unfortunate. In my system, I'm not relying on Medicaid Medicare or private insurances. I don't bill insurance, which kind of makes me unique, lean, more maneuverable where I can mm-hmm. um, deliver a primary care in a different kind of way.
1: Okay, so what is your service?
0: Yeah, my service is called Plum Health Direct Primary Care. I deliver affordable, accessible health care services in Detroit, and I do that through a membership model. So it's $10 if you're under 18, $10 a month mm-hmm. for kids. It's $50 a month if you're under 40, and it's $70 a month if you're over 40. Mm-hmm. And with that monthly rate, you can call me anytime. You can text me, you can email me, you can come see me in my office anytime you need to see me. No co-pays. So like if you need to see me twice in one month, it's still 50 bucks a month, mm-hmm. okay? And then on top of that, I wholesale medications, I get people at-cost labs, and I get people at-cost imaging.
1: Okay, so with all of this being said, somebody like me, I definitely fit into the stereotype of a lot of different things. Right now I'm 34, uh, I went a long time without going to see a doctor. But when I was 30, I was like, all right, let me start going back to a doctor. Let me get uh, practice going and I'm paying out of pocket. I paid out of pocket for all of my doctor's visits. But let's break down some of what you're saying into terms where I can
0: understand. Medicaid. What is Medicaid? Yeah, Medicaid is a state program where um, your costs are covered through the government if you aren't earning enough money to buy your own insurance. Okay, how do you get that? So you have to apply through the state of Michigan and be approved through a state process.
1: Okay, most people on Medicaid, or is that just somebody that's probably like a mother or a father of a young child or something like that? Or yeah. like a senior citizen, like what, what yeah. is the...
0: Well, if you're, you're typically a young family with mm-hmm. young kids uh, qualify for Medicaid often um, if they're earning under a certain income threshold medicare is for folks you know typically 65 years and older once you turn 65 you become eligible for medicare which is another you know more or less federal government program where your costs are covered through the federal government what's the difference
1: if you have medicaid like what does that cover what does that not cover if i have medicaid could i you know, like I mean, you hear about so many different strange things and procedures, especially with like all of these medical malpractice uh, lawsuits, uh, attorneys on TV and stuff like that. What does Medicaid cover?
0: Yeah, Medicaid covers your basic uh, primary care services, and then if mm-hmm. you need to have a surgery or an operation, it will be covered. It won't cover anything that's elective, like you know. Um, Botox or something like that. Okay, so I can't get Wolverine arms
1: hands. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can't get, <laughs> you get those titanium, titanium implants. <laughs> yes, that, that is not covered <laughs> no, with Medicaid. that is not covered with Medicaid. Okay, so now when it comes to health insurance, because you said that most doctors are going for health insurance, how does that work? Because if I work at a, you know, let's just say I work at, uh, I don't know, um, I buy into like a health uh, HMO or something like that. What 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 type of health insurance should I be looking for if I have a job and want to buy into the system?
0: Yeah, so you know, there's the Affordable Care Act, which provides some uh, options for health insurance coverage mm-hmm. plans, and then a lot of folks, when they get a job, they are offered insurance through the company. Okay, you know. Now, certain small companies, if you have fi- less than 50 full-time equivalent employees, mm-hmm. um, there's no federal mandate or government mandate to provide health insurance. Okay. So, you know, in, in those cases, that's where my service is super valuable for, um, for businesses with less than 50 employees because then I can come in and at least provide health care for your employees even if mm-hmm. you can't afford the health insurance. Because a lot of those plans are like two, $300 a month. I talked to somebody who was paying $700 a month for their health insurance. And yeah. then they went on to a catastrophic care plan that cost them about $200 a month. And then they're using me at $70 a month. So for $270, they're getting Plum Health direct primary care mm-hmm. with catastrophic coverage. Okay. there's There's a lot of different options out there in the marketplace right now. Um, and it can be really confusing. So yeah. You know, if, you, if yeah. you ever have any questions about it, you can just call me on my cell phone, 313-444-5630, and I can help you kinda of navigate this process.
1: Okay, so what would your suggestion be for um, a person that is looking for an option Somebody like me, somebody that's an entrepreneur looking for an option. Right now I just pay per visit and Lord knows per visit is uh, killing my pockets. I'm thinking about going with you, but let's say they, I know you'd say you, but what, what option? Would you say get health insurance? Would you say pay out of pocket? What What's the smartest thing to do?
0: Yeah. So how much are you paying per visit? Ooh,
1: per visit I'm paying about, depending upon what needs to happen, but generally about $85.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I mean for you it would probably make sense. You know, I say fifty dollars a month mm-hmm. and that gives you kind of more or less on demand service. Mm-hmm. And then if you did need a medication, let's say you came in with pneumonia, um, they would write you a script and you have to go to the pharmacy mm-hmm. and they charge you like ten or fifteen dollars for a Z pack, which is azithromycin. I wholesale that medication for a dollar and fourteen cents. Mm-hmm. Let's say you want to check your cholesterol, you go to that clinic where you just paid eighty five dollars they're gonna bill you another $125 to check your cholesterol.
1: They they sure would, sir.
0: And I do that test for seven bucks. Okay, So yes. like right there, I'm just showing you how much value that I bring to the table. I know
1: when I got my blood work done, that cost me, and blood work is something for anybody listening, it was a long time, I was like, all right, let me go on and pay for this. But blood yeah. work is, they say from top to bottom, they're gonna check cholesterol, they're gonna check, uh everything going on in my blood everything but like uh the hiv virus which i checked through um, i checked through one of the clinics because they said it was cheaper to do that there but I, they did my blood work and that ended up costing me through dmc and my doctor 365 dollars
0: shit I'm, oh jeez, I'm yeah, sorry no,
1: hey, you can use profanity on detroit is different yeah, yeah <laughs> well yeah, was, you know that's I, exactly what I thought I'm like oh jeez.
0: you know that essentially gets you six months of service with me mm-hmm. and all those labs that you got are cost about $25 mm-hmm. I do a complete blood count for four bucks mm-hmm. I do a com- comprehensive metabolic panel for six dollars and the lipid panel for seven and a TSH thyroid test for six bucks mm-hmm. so all that together is about 25 bucks and if you want me to check your HIV status, I do it for $22. Chlamydia and gonorrhea, I do it for $23. Okay. So, right. you know, full full boat, you know, checking everything, and I mean everything, you know, 75 yes. bucks. There you go. I all mean, right, that's, so you can't, you can't beat that. And I do that because I cut out all the middlemen, all the billers, coders, and lawyers that stand between you and your doctor. I take out all those people that aren't adding any value to you. And giving you the service at a direct price
1: Okay, so we just talked pricing And I just gave an introduction of why I think what his service offers is very interesting And that's the overview of what he's offering Now we're going to get into the person Dr. Thomas, what led you into just saying that you want to go into pursuing being an MD Especially being that the first thing you always hear about MD is that It's a lot of school and it is a long hard road
0: yeah. I mean, when I was a younger guy, when I was 17, I started volunteering at Cass Clinic, Cass Avenue in Detroit. and One of my mentors there you know, taught me a lot about what it meant to be a doctor and a family doctor and give, to give back to the community. Okay. What was your mentor's name? Dr. Costia. Okay. Still, he still runs the Cass Clinic. And in fact, when he can't do it, he calls me up and I fill in for him. So I am actually filling in for him on the 18th. I still go volunteer at other places like the student-run free clinic on the east side. What I'm trying to say is, I got into medicine because I started volunteering for homeless, underserved folks, mm-hmm. and I wanted to come up with a system where I could take care of everybody, insured, uninsured, um, great insurance, I don't care. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm taking care of people across a wide spectrum.
1: Okay, all right. So, what was your family background like? What did your is any of your family MDS is that just in the blood? Was it one of those things it, where you said it was completely different? What's that like?
0: Yeah, my dad's an accountant and my mom's a nurse. You know, growing up, my mom was a nurse and then she recently became a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. And she's now a doctorate of nursing practice. Mm -hmm. So not an MD, but definitely, you know, medical side. And then my dad's like a numbers guy. So I I feel like I got a good bit of both of them, the compassion and then also some business sense, sense, accounting. What did you... What was your mom thinking as you began volunteering and started taking it
1: seriously to pursue the md
0: oh she definitely gave me a nudge you know i was thinking about being a teacher or being a doctor and she definitely gave me a nudge towards going to the medical school route and i definitely appreciate that looking back on it okay what medical school school did you go to so i went to wayne state university school of medicine and i graduated in 2013. did you like it oh loved it man because one unique thing about wayne state is that you really are integrated into the fabric of the community. Mm-hmm. You know, I was volunteering through so many different organizations. I was like, uh, what? What organizations? So we did this thing called Run Detroit, where we went to Isaac Newton Elementary School, mm-hmm. kind of uh, northwest side, and we were helping kids uh, set goals. We were running laps with them. Um, I even taught a kid how to tie his shoes. He was like mm-hmm. a fourth grader who, and so there's like mentorship mm-hmm. involved with that. I also was involved in a program where we went out to schools and we taught them about HIV, sexually transmitted diseases and sexual health. Mm-hmm. Um, I also continued to volunteer at Cass Clinic and the student run free clinic and then um, I was doing some tutoring at the church right next door to the Wayne State campus, the medical school campus and you know helping kids with their homework, you know their math work, their reading mm-hmm. work, etc.
1: Okay. All right. What was the workload like? Because that's what you always hear about MDs. Was it like homework where you would stand up till, you know, three o'clock in the morning every day, uh, reading about different parts of the body and all of these different things and listening to lectures that you had to tape record with your cell phone and stuff? What was it like?
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's about you have about six hours of lecture each day. Okay, one second, time out. You said
1: six hours of lecture each day? Yeah. Okay, so in that, uh, how how much of that was most
0: people, like, falling asleep half the time? (laughs) Well, they record it, and you could either watch it on your computer at home or go to the lecture. I would always go to lecture because I felt like I could focus better Mm -hmm. if I wasn't distracted by the stuff in my apartment or whatever. Okay. But, you know, you usually study one hour before the lecture and, you know, two hours after the lecture for each hour of lecture, Mm -hmm. so... You know, you, you should be putting in about 10 to 14 hours a day in terms of studying, mm. um, you know, six days a week, and then, you know, take some time off on the seventh day to relax and let your brain recharge. Okay,
1: so when you're doing all of that different studying, taking in all of these different words because i assume it's like a lot of jargon that's one thing and yeah. then also it's a lot of practice right so did you have to learn latin and all huh. of that extra stuff that
0: they that they that i've heard before uh jeez, you know i took latin in high school but i i can't really say i learned it how to applied it. Okay, okay yeah okay. and then you get some root words like um the root word for this bone in the back of your skull is occiput mm-hmm. you know it's your occipital bone and that's latin for roughly like pillow you know mm-hmm. that's what you lay on okay and then you know your xiphoid this is a bone in your chest looks like a sword and it translates roughly to sword mm-hmm. you know things like that you know it's it's not like super useful but it oh okay. has some correlation
1: okay so other than that social life was it no social life during medical school or were you dating were you able to date did you uh see your family did you come up or were you just a mad scientist throughout most of the school
0: well, I mean, it's cool because you have this group of 300 people. You know, Wayne State's the largest single-campus med school in the United States. I had no idea that. And that. so there's 300 people per class, 1,200 people in the school. And mm-hmm. so you develop these really close friendships with your uh, peers in the school, and then you're all in it together. So you're you studying super hard for three weeks, and then you take an exam, and then you all go out for a drink one night, and then you know, you're back at it the next day studying really hard again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's you, you definitely – earn some friendships and uh, make, make great friends in the process. Okay, what are the most of the class that you graduated with? What are they doing mostly now? Oh man, there's so many different medical specialties and Wayne State's such a great school that there's people really can do whatever they want when they graduate. So you got people in dermatology, radiology, oncology um, and, and so on and then you got people doing family medicine, pediatrics, internal mm-hmm. medicine gastroenterology the whole, the whole gamut you know the whole spectrum of medical care and then you have some people who are PhD students who are mm-hmm. you know doing two years of med school doing three years of a PhD and then finishing out their med school so there's a ton of people doing tons of different specialties they're all the way from New York City to California and beyond okay
1: so some travel some stay it just all mixed up just that group of people that you were kind of rolling with is that group of people that over time you'll see, and then one day be like, "Oh man, that guy wrote a book."
0: Yeah, or yeah, they wrote a chapter on you know endocrinology, or they you know did this cool thing. And you know, a lot of people are reaching out to me from my med school class and are saying, "Man, you're doing this really cool thing with your direct primary care practice." So you know, it definitely we keep in touch with each other, even though we're distant.
1: Okay. All right. So beyond that, other than school, what are some of the things that just kept you going that you had the interest in where you tapped into the culture of Detroit?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, when, when I was living uh, downtown starting in 2009 during med school, I joined that soccer league. And hmm. the first season was 2010. And I was on the downtown Lafayette Park soccer team. There were originally 11 teams. And that, that grew to be the Detroit City Football League. And now there's like 30 plus teams, and I've been playing in that league for the last, geez, almost eight years now and I've developed a lot of friendships outside of school and outside of my professional career through that so okay
1: let's talk a little bit about that because it's like a soccer movement it's yeah. almost like a hooligan movement yeah. that began a couple years back and it's a lot of people that's like you know Detroit's already had soccer and now you have the MLS stadium possibly coming okay yeah. what is this soccer league how did it start who were the people
0: what Yeah why? I mean I I wasn't there in the I wasn't one of the original captains in that group but Apparently, it was like 11 different people from 11 different neighborhoods mm-hmm. who were, kind of got summoned to a bar and uh, talked about starting a soccer league. Mm-hmm. And it was really bootstrapped. I mean, I remember I would play, it was games on like Tuesday nights, you'd play and then I'd referee. So like I'd play in one game and then mm-hmm. referee mm. the next game because it was like a 6.30 game and a 7.30 mm-hmm. game or whatever. And... Um, you know, it just grew organically, and out of that came, out of the Detroit City Football League came the Detroit City Football Club, which is now LaRouche, and they used to play out of um, Castak Tech High School's mm-hmm. football field, and now they've got their own stadium at the Hamtramck High School. Interest, yeah. Interestingly, my grandparents went to that high school, huh. Hamtramck High, and my grandfather played football at that stadium, Keyworth. Oh, okay. And so, I'm, I'm, I love that they renovated that, I actually was one of the investors I, you know I invested like a thousand dollars so that they could get that going i'm really proud of what they've done and really excited to see some of the old infrastructure in our city repurposed for a new thing i think it's awesome okay so your family has some ham roots then yeah yeah okay so all right ham is
1: definitely one of the more unique when we think of cultures of detroit and its impact of like eastern european and also um even some, of, even some of like Western Europe, sorta. But it, it's it's definitely like a feel. What um what part of Europe is your family from?
0: Yeah, so my grandfather's parents immigrated from Russia. You know, what Eastern are, European? What are <laughs> in like Belarus area? Mm-hmm. And they actually originally went to like um, Indianola, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and then they settled in Hamtramck. And they were Eastern Orthodox. And so mm-hmm. my grandfather and his family built the um, Old Believers Church Hmm. um, which is just a small church just north of Hamtramck. It's literally across the street into like North Detroit Mm -hmm. and then my grandmother's family is uh, uh, Polish Mm -hmm. so her grandmother or my grandmother's mother came over when she was 16 and like swept the the floor of the theater and that was like her first job. So basically it's like a lot of Hamtramck
1: roots right there so not even that
0: far from here.
1: Yep. it was going down all right so the food and the, the parade and the fair did you always connect with that growing up as a kid
0: not really because um uh, my grandfather he was a detroit police officer and he ended up moving to, to like the far east side over by like st john area mm-hmm. and so you know I, I wasn't really super connected with that but my grandmother always made great food and you know cooking is always a great part of family life so we always have like glumki and things like that well i can definitely say if you
1: want to connect to some spices you may not necessarily be able to speak the language or figure out what's going on but spices and sauces ham is one of the places that you can go and you can always get a lot of different spices a lot of different sauces a lot of different uh types of oils and and olives and pickle things it's it's, it exists there. Back when I was a truck driver, uh, a couple of the truck drivers were from uh, some of the different parts of what was like, I guess you know, what was the USSR, but then became like different countries of Russia at yeah, one point yeah. in time, and they were all in that whole ham area. And then, you know, you'd stop, it's like you'd be on a route with one of the guys, and then it'd be like you know, they'd be saying something and it's like, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. But, great food great food
0: great food yeah so my favorite place over there is probably polish village oh polish village is cool that place is the great and it kind of like reminds me of the food that my grandmother makes
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah a lot of uh a lot of different uh vibes and feels still like of uh of a just different place in ham within the boundary surrounded by Detroit you know yeah. so it's unique that they actually pick that location to like you know stake stake claim to and what what right now as people talk about this whole new soccer soccer stadium coming what's the what's the feel in the soccer community from the from the purist
0: I mean from somebody who loves the organic nature of like how Detroit City Football League just started with you know eleven people saying let's build a, a soccer culture mm-hmm. and that growing into um, uh, I think they're in the MPSL or something like that they're you know, they've, they've built this brand, La Rouge, and it's awesome and exciting. And the fan experience is amazing. You know, I've gone to games every season that they've been playing, and it's always super enjoyable. I go to like three games a year, mm-hmm. and I love it. And I, there's a lot of passion, and it just feels so right. And I'm worried that some of that purity, some of that organic excitement, is going to be lost when we get this like top down approach of we're an MLS team and we're going to call them the Detroit Thunder or some... It some, will
1: probably be something
0: like that. Some crap like that. You know? <laughs> <The> Detroit <laughs> it's, Thunder. <laughs> it's cool that we're called Rouge because it's like a nod to our French mm-hmm. roots, you know, the founding of our city. Mm-hmm. And the, I just love the jersey design. It, it all speaks to me like that. It's just a great
1: experience. All right. So along with that, tying into the culture and everything, what has it been like opening up the practice and serving the people in the community
0: yeah it's been great i mean i really have a a broad spectrum of patients you know i have folks who are you know, on the lower income scale of things and i have folks who own their own business mm-hmm. and uh are doing quite well financially and i think it's a really great equitable way to take care of folks across several different communities you know i've i, have, I have folks of many different you know i have Males, females. I have people who are gay. I have people who are straight. I have people um, who are black, white, and other. You know, it's just really great being a a community doctor in the city of Detroit in terms of the diversity of patients that I take care of and the diversity of needs. My my youngest patient is 14 months old, Mm. and my oldest patient is 54 years old. Okay, so that's all been super exciting taking care of different folks.
1: Okay, now I think that a doctor and an attorney share this in common in the sense that two things one the law and also in the medical field you know people we're we're very vulnerable of what we don't know and also we're vulnerable about what we did know but you know don't want to share that we did and also you know in the same thing the third thing is people really need someone they can trust. Right. So let's address the first one. What we don't know. Uh, What is it that people are so afraid of when it comes to the doctor? I know with me, some of it is, you know, some of it's the the natural, the Tuskegee Airman. It's like, oh, this doctor may be trying to poison me. And then some of it also is the fact that, okay, the fear of will I be able to afford what this doctor comes back and says I need to pay for? And then, you know, I've been living before this doctor came to me, so is what they're saying real? Should I get a second, third, and fourth opinion? Right. How do you hop some of those hurdles, dealing with patients?
0: Yeah, I mean, those are all, I mean, I I just want to validate how you're feeling. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's some bad things that happened in our history in terms of the way we treated different minorities as a medical Mm -hmm. community. And you know, you can't go back, but I definitely acknowledge that those things happened. And uh, one of the things that I do is that I'm open and honest and easy to communicate with. So, you know, have you ever interviewed your doctor before? And for a lot of folks, it's no. You can't even like do a trial run. You either get in there and they bill you and you either say, okay, I like this guy or no, I'm going somewhere else. Like if you you want to come in, sit down with me, we can do a consultation, no problem. If you don't love it, no skin off my back. You know, it's just. I'm getting to know people in the community, and maybe you'll send me somebody who does need this service or doesn't want mm-hmm. this kind of service. The other thing is that it's a known cost up front at forty-nine dollars a month for mm-hmm. 12 months. You know, it's going to cost you about six hundred bucks for the year. Mm-hmm. And then I told you my full lab panel is going to cost about twenty-five dollars. If you want to throw in HIV and chlamydia and gonorrhea, that's another you know fifty-ish bucks. Mm -hmm. And then all the medications I get at wholesale and so I'm gonna tell you hey this medication costs X Y or Z and you can say okay that's a little too much for me I can look into different options for you so like what I'm trying to say is like you're gonna know your costs up front there's no surprises with our billing and there's no hassle if you say that you know I can't afford this right now we can kind of put it to the back burner
1: okay now let's get into number two WebMD Just like I think uh, the the legal stuff with Google, it's like every time I go on WebMD, it's like WebMD is the worst thing ever. It's like you you check something and it's like oh oh man, this thing may kill me. (laughs) Exactly, this thing though it may murder me. But what people think they know versus (laughs) what a practitioner really knows, like how do you interact with the patient that? either themselves or maybe even a loved one that they have that's sitting there telling you, you know, I was watching the doctors yesterday and they said, ABC, you know, how how do you deal with that?
0: Yeah, I I, I mean, you have to trust me just like I have to trust you. And, you know, if you come to me with a concern or a symptom, I'm gonna look into it. I'm gonna make sure that, you know, I find out what's going on and, you know, really understand where you're coming from and why you're feeling that way and write down everything that's going on around that symptom and come to you with my medical opinion. Mm -hmm. And you know, it is my medical opinion, and yeah, if you want to get a second opinion, I can help facilitate that. I'll even do one better. I do that for you for free. Mm -hmm. So I use this computer system or app called Rubicon MD, And with Rubicon, I can consult any of 200-plus medical specialists. So let's say you're concerned about your cholesterol level, just hypothetically. I draw your cholesterol, it's a little bit high. I recommend a statin. And you say, hey, I want a second opinion. I can send it to a cardiologist who specializes in cholesterol levels mm-hmm. and get a second opinion from them and, okay. and send that information directly to you. So you don't need to see another doctor. Now, if you want to go out and see another doctor, I can write a referral to another cardiologist, etc. But I, I definitely give you the options and I make it really easy for you to get a second opinion. Okay, and as I get older and
1: we all have this whole thing i think as we're getting older we have the loved ones we care about and we're worried about what's going to happen with our parents uh, as we take on the long-term care uh, possibly the catastrophic injury or something like that what do you suggest for the sons and daughters of somebody that is getting a little bit older, not necessarily all the way older, but you're looking to develop somewhat of a rapport and relationship with who their doctor and doctors are. Like, how do you how do you go about that? If it's like, hey, yo, mom, I think you need to maybe holler at Doctor Thomas as well as have your doctor because I have a relationship with him, and I don't know who your doctor is.
0: Right? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely super important to have a great relationship with your primary care doctor. That's something that we don't often have. Like you you should have a family medicine doctor or you should have an internist. Your kids should, you know, have either a family doctor or a pediatrician. Or, you know, if you're a female patient, you, you should have a OBGYN or a family doctor. Right? Mm-hmm. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna really get to know you and I can communicate with your family. So if, if your mom signs up with me and she says it's okay to share information with you, we can just all jump on an email together and I can email her the care plan and CCU, and we can talk about you know what's working, what's not working, you can kind of relay your concerns about your care. If, if a medication isn't working right or she's having side effects, we can all dr- address that together as a, as a team.
1: I think it's three big things as we talk about addressing that definitely play my community of black people, and that is diabetes, heart disease, and hypertension. yeah, That big three is like, you know, a hell of a thing. And I think it's kept a lot of industries in business, especially as we get older. I look at some of these dialysis clinics opening up throughout my community, and it's like, wow, you know, these places will end up being on almost every other corner soon.
0: Yeah, I know. It's like there's more dialysis centers than primary care doctors. There definitely are dialysis centers in the hood.
1: Yeah. And there definitely are probably a lot more of those than, what you said, primary care places.
0: Yeah, and then I see all those like, you know, this may be a tangential, but I see a lot of those green, you know, marijuana dispensaries yes. popping yes. up around. Yeah, but A lot you know, of pain. A lot I, of pain. I digress. But yeah, I, I hear you. And, you know, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, those are big problems facing all Americans. You know, and, and unfortunately, yeah, it does affect the African-American black community as well. And one of the things that I help people with is lifestyle. You know, if you want me to send you a text message every month that says, Kari, how are you doing with, you know, you said you wanted to be able to run a mile by -hmm. the end of the month. How are you doing with that? Mm -hmm. I can check up on you and keep you honest, you know. And communication, trust, those are the key things. And then if you, I want to prevent you from needing dialysis. So I'm going to help you manage your diabetes and blood sugar as closely to normal as I can. I'm going to help you keep your... Blood pressure as close to normal as possible by really keeping a close eye on your medications and how you're taking them and if you're having side effects we can change it. And uh, I really want to prevent those heart disease, those heart attacks and, and the way I can do that is helping you control your diabetes and blood pressure.
1: Okay. And let's let's address that off rip because those things are very present in the black community, but you're saying even in America. Yeah. So let's go with what's in my family and even I've been prescribed it at times, blood pressure medicine. What does blood pressure medicine do to a person? What is it trying to do? What other effects does it generally have on a person?
0: Yeah, so blood pressure medication is lowering your blood pressure and basically the higher your blood pressure the higher risk you are of doing damage to your arteries mm-hmm. or the blood vessels that supply your vital organs like your heart or brain and um, if your blood pressure is too high over a long period of time it can eventually cause damage to those blood vessels and a plaque can build up you know cholesterol plaque it be- can can become unstable you can have a heart attack or a stroke
1: mm-hmm.
0: blood pressure's high blood pressure is also also called like the silent killer or silent disease because a lot of people walk around with high blood pressure and don't think there's a problem. And it's you know n- not going to be a problem until like 20 years down the line when you've had that high pressure hitting against the walls of your arteries for years and years and years causing that damage. And then all of a sudden you have a heart attack or a stroke. Mm-hmm. So my job as a primary care doctor is to check your blood pressure when you come in to see me and make sure your blood pressure is less than 140 over 90.
1: What, what happens when you start taking the medication for high blood pressure
0: well number one you're going to lower your blood pressure and there's several different medications with different mechanisms of action so you've heard of a water pill right mm-hmm. something like hydrochlorothiazide or hctz yeah and when, i was given one of those and yeah that's usually a first line treatment for blood pressure it used to be and what you would see with that is you'd pee more mm-hmm. you know and so if you took it at night you'd be waking up four or five times in the night peeing mm-hmm. so you know yeah, you know, there's pros and cons to these medications. The other one is like a really common one is like lisinopril mm-hmm. and that's called an ACE inhibitor and that, you know, blocks some of the hormones or some of the enzymes that make different things to increase your blood pressure. So, essentially what you do there is you um, stop an enzyme and you stop different factors that from tightening your arteries. So, you know, it kind of relaxes your arteries, allows your blood pressure to drop. You know, the real treatment for high blood pressure are the lifestyle and dietary changes. So, if you're exercising 30 minutes a day, if you're eating a healthy diet, those things are going to help your blood pressure. If you quit smoking, mm-hmm. if you eat less salt in your diet, um, if you can moderate your stress level, drink less alcohol, maybe meditate, those things have all, all have some evidence about lowering your blood pressure so i would work with you on your lifestyle changes and if you need the medication we start you on the medication we give you the appropriate dose so you're not having side effects and if you are having side effects we've got several other options to switch you to to try to get your blood pressure down okay so let's go over to the other one diabetes yep explain diabetes so diabetes um there's type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes type 1 diabetes happens when you're an adolescent typically and it's an autoimmune disorder, meaning your your immune system attacks and kills the cells in your pancreas that make insulin. Insulin takes blood sugar and puts it into your cells so that you can, you know, use blood sugar in your cells and have it in your muscles for energy and things like that. Mm-hmm. Older adults de- develop um, diabetes when their those cells in your pancreas wear out over years and years of maybe eating too much sugar and um, Having other problems where those where those cells just don't produce enough insulin anymore, mm-hmm. and so you get high blood sugar in your system, and that can be problematic because that can do damage to your blood vessels and lead to heart attacks and strokes. Mm-hmm. So basically, the medication that I use for that is metformin. Um, people buy that for five ten dollars at the pharmacy. It costs about a dollar and a dollar for a thirty day supply at my clinic because it's like less than two cents a pill for those pills. Okay, all right. What do those teals, what's the side effect? What's the
1: common side effect that people have with that?
0: Most, you know, the most common side effect is gastrointestinal symptoms like diarrhea. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe some nausea too, but uh, gastrointestinal symptoms or side effects are common with a lot of medications that we use, but metformin is known to cause those. And the way it works is it decreases the amount of blood sugar that your liver makes, and it makes your um, muscle tissue and fat tissue more sensitive to bringing in glucose, so you get it out of your, or sugar out of your system.
1: Okay. All right, that makes sense.
0: And then also, within this, as we, before
1: we transition to the next one, a lot of things happen as you get older, it's funny you said that, because even being regular changes, as I've noticed, as you get older, it's like so many things in your body changes at different ages. Right. So. And when we talk about this, and I guess we'll, before we get even into heart disease, like what are some of those steps as a person's maturation, man or woman, what are some of the things that a person should be saying, okay, I need to be checking this out, I need to be paying attention to this, like at five years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, like what are some of those big uh, dates in life that you need to be cognizant of what's happening and this should be happening in your body?
0: Yeah, I mean, as you age through childhood, you definitely want to get all your immunizations, like your hepatitis B, mm-hmm. rotavirus, polio, measles, mumps, rubella, all those sort of things as you age. And then there's some certain developmental milestones that your pediatrician or family medicine doctor will make sure that your child is achieving. And if you're if they're not achieving those, you'll you know, do some different therapies to get you up to snuff or maybe do some other investigations to make sure there's nothing going wrong like autism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Then, after 18, uh, you should have regular checkups every year with your doctor, you know, blood pressure, height, weight, make sure that you're doing well. Um, For women, when they turn 21, you should start having pap smears, and if they're normal, you can have your pap smear every three years. Mm -hmm. Um, Men and women at age 35, you should check your cholesterol Mm -hmm. with your doctor. That's definitely a good thing to do, and all the while checking your blood pressure and seeing your doctor every year. Heightened weight, I mean obesity is really the big thing, so diet exercise patterns are really important to talk with your doctor about. Mm-hmm. When you turn 50, um, you start getting your colonoscopy, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where you're, you have a camera, they look up up your butt and into your colon to make sure you don't have any colon cancer. Mm-hmm. So that's colon cancer screening. Um, women, typically at age 50, unless there's a family history of cancer, start getting um, mammography or mammograms where the breast tissue is looked at using an x-ray type machine and uh, using some sort of radiography and you know you have that every year every other year as you age up until about age 75. Um, Some other big ones uh, prostate cancer if you have a first degree relative like a brother or father who has prostate cancer you probably want to be screened for prostate cancer starting about 10 years before they were diagnosed Otherwise, prostate cancer screening isn't really recommended at this time.
1: Okay. All right. Now, let's get into heart disease. What's sure. heart disease? How do you avoid it? And how do people deal with it?
0: Yeah, heart disease is a, a big umbrella term. But the, the most common concerning thing it would be like coronary artery disease or CAD. And CAD just means the blood vessels that bring oxygen-rich blood to your heart get mm-hmm. narrower and narrower as damage is done to them. And the biggest causes of heart disease are high blood pressure and diabetes like we were talking about before. That's something. Because the higher your blood pressure, the more damage you're doing to those blood vessels Mm -hmm. and the higher your blood sugar, the more damage you're doing to those blood vessels. Hmm. So when you have both of those combined, it's like a double whammy on those blood vessels. Hmm. And they, they lead to heart attack and strokes when you have those two things together. It just increases your risk. So my job as a family medicine doctor is to make sure your blood sugar is good, make sure you don't have diabetes, check your blood pressure every time you come to see me and make sure that's not going up with time. And if it is, we start treating you at a certain threshold that's certainly 140 over 90 uh, millimeters of mercury in terms of your blood pressure.
1: Okay, all right, so now dealing with all of this, you've just given a great amount of information and you've made things very plain, for people to check out and look into and get deeper into. Um, Which leads me to the next question, as you talked about cancer a little bit, and we've all been connected to someone that's uh, dealt with cancer, I'm sure that depending upon your age, you've probably uh, been connected with someone that has passed away from cancer for everybody listening. Uh, Why is cancer so prevalent, because it seems as though it just... Over over time, it's become more and more prevalent. Is this just that Americans are living longer, or is this just yeah. something that's, in the food?
0: What what's happening? That's part of it. So, um, colon cancer, lung cancer, and then breast and prostate cancer are the most common. So, obviously, breast cancer in women, prostate cancer in men. Mm-hmm. So, um, colon cancer is like the you know number one thing, and the issue is in the American diet, we're eating a lot of processed and red meats. Mm -hmm. So processed meat, smoking, alcohol, all of those things increase your risk for colon cancer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the longer you live, the higher risk is going to be for colon cancer. That's why we start screening at age 50. And we keep screening typically every five to 10 years until you're 75 years of age. Mm-hmm. And you know it usually develops and uh, it can be found and treated. Now, now as you talk about
1: processed foods and you get into these long discussions with so many different people, and I yeah. know a lot of different people, uh, one of them, Malik Yakini, who was uh, one of my first guests that from the Detroit, the D-town farm and farming but even as you get through a lot of the american food process with the seeds with the pesticides with the soil with right. the way that everything is kept it seems as though it's like a process and process seeds into anything connected to food nowadays know. where like how do you get natural food when even the
0: seeds aren't natural anymore like right. what's I mean, urban agriculture is a great asset for Detroit, and we're actually doing really well with that. We have a lot of land that we're using for Mm -hmm. urban agriculture, also known as urban farming, or urban gardening. Mm -hmm. So, like, even if you can do something as simple as setting up a garden plot in your backyard and growing tomatoes, Mm -hmm. you know, tomatoes have anti-cancer properties um, and are very healthy healthy and, you know, relatively inexpensive to grow. So, like...
1: What about, uh, and I have definitely one of those houses that has like no CO2, like plants in the house. Does, does that help any, if you have a house full of plants and stuff like that? or
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some soft research on like the benefit of having a um, plant in your room can you know make you feel emotionally better and make you more productive perhaps i don't think it has any anti-cancer i can't i can't get any any raw oxygen
1: in my room (laughs) yeah like i'm getting that natural oxygen
0: yeah it's delicious
1: all right and also within as we think about just you know staying away from processed foods just the process in which food can be so you say stay away canned food or frozen food what's better
0: Uh, Neither, and get the the raw vegetables from the vegetable aisle. I mean, if you can afford organic foods, do it. If you can pick up some, um, you know, urban, agriculturally grown food from a local urban farm, support them, Mm -hmm. you know, because that kind of takes the strain off of our environment in terms of the pesticide mega farms and all that kind of stuff. If you can go back Mm -hmm. to local food, locally grown food, you know, that's ideal. Um, And then if you're gonna eat meat, you know, lean meat like chicken, um, salmon, you know, and if you're getting salmon you don't want to get farm-raised, you want to get ocean-caught like Atlantic salmon. It's gonna be more expensive but it's gonna have more omega-3 fatty acids and less omega-6 fatty acids. So omega-6 fatty acids are actually pro-inflammatory and cause some problems in your body. You want more of those omega-3 fatty acids and uh, you want to have less pollutants in your food. And those farm-raised fish have a lot of pollutants.
1: Okay, so when you go to a restaurant, how do you even ask about this?
0: I mean, the point is you don't really want to be eating out of the restaurant maybe once or twice a month at most, right? Okay. And you really want to be cooking your own food and that way you have a, a lot more control on where you get your ingredients. You know, you can buy fresh lettuce from, you know, the grocery store, fresh vegetables, um, lean meats, and you can really have a lot of power in terms of your spending habits on how your food is grown. And the more of us that do that, the more sustainable our food system becomes, and the less dependent we become on those, you know, pesticides and um, toxic, pollute, toxic pollutants that are in our food right now.
1: Okay, so moving moving forward, just with your practice alone, and where things stand. Um, where do you see it going? What, what's what's your vision? What's the uh, what's the idea of what do you see next for Plum Health?
0: Yeah, I mean, right now I'm just focused on providing excellent primary care services for the people I have. Period. Okay. As I grow, more pe- more and more people enjoy the service and love what I'm doing. I'd love to hire another doctor. I'd love to hire a female doctor. Okay. Um, I'd love to hire a person who grew up in Detroit and did all their school in Detroit and. You know, someone who knows the community well. So if you know somebody out there, um, my email is paul at plumhealthdpc.com. www.plumhealthdpc.com. Send me their information because I'd love to meet them and hire them. Because okay. we're going to be getting to that point soon where I can hire a doctor. I'd love to hire a female doctor who's from around here and knows the community well because they're going to be a draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going to be culturally competent and those are the kind of people that I want in my business.
1: Okay all right so with medicine, what are some of the things that we just as the general public should be paying attention to and be abreast to?
0: Yeah I mean it starts with um, you know it starts with having a good education you know I think the best the best medicine for folks is good health education in our school systems you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really want to get deep on this, it starts with the family, having family dinners, uh, teaching about good citizenship, even things like writing letters to your your mayor, picking up trash off the street, just being a good community steward. You know, community health and the environment are so important to our personal health. And then if you want to take it a step further, it's, you know, in the schools. we got to be educating children to become adults that are able to take care of themselves and understand the difference between processed foods and natural foods so that they can actually make those choices to choose the healthier foods and be healthier themselves. And then if you want to take it a step further, you know, have an excellent primary care doctor, someone that you can talk with, someone that you trust, who can take really good care of you and your family. You know, and that's a that's piece that I bring. So I'm a few steps down the line, but I'm, I'm definitely a piece of the puzzle in terms of keeping people healthy and helping them through tough times.
1: Okay. All right. And I would say with that being said, I think we kind of wrapped up the discussion. How do people get in contact with you?
0: Yeah. I mean, you can go to my website, PlumHealthDPC.com, or you can go to PlumHealthDetroit.com. Both websites send us to the direct primary care website. Um, you can call me on my cell phone, 313-444-5630. And yes, that's also my cell phone. So if you want to talk to me, if you have a question about your health, wellness, if you want to become healthier give me a ring. You can also find me on uh, Facebook, uh, www.facebook.com PlumHealthDPC. A lot of different ways to reach out. Again, my name is Paul Thomas. And I'm a MD. I'm a family medicine doctor in Detroit. So you can find me pretty easily if you search my name on Google.
1: Yes, yes. And he has been Detroit is different down Uh, We actually featured him. I met him through Motor City Match. I featured him a little bit there. But now we got into a way deeper discussion where we talked so much about health, how he started. uh, He has his service. Uh, I'm I'm definitely going to be one of his uh, people that get on board as well. And we can get this thing rolling. If you're looking for somebody at MD, if you just want to talk to somebody, I say you should reach out to Dr. Thomas. If you haven't talked to a doctor in a while... Now will be the time.
0: Man, I definitely appreciate that. Kari, we got to plug you, though, man. Where can people find your podcast? Ah, Detroit is different. You can find it online, Detroitisdifferent.com,
1: Detroitisdifferent.com, Detroitisdifferent.com. Every Thursday, check for some new update where we're going to have either words, you're going to have audio, you're going to have video. You're going to have some form of content, maybe even graphic design. Yeah. That's what you're going to get.
0: Are you on Facebook, too?
1: Yeah, I'm on Facebook. What am I on Facebook? different. I am Detroit is different on Facebook, oh, on Twitter, I'm Detroit way, on Instagram, I'm Detroit way,
0: but uh, it's all around. You yeah, know. man. Well, if, you, if your listeners are out there, you know, Kari's doing an awesome thing, so smash that like button. Thank you. Subscribe, you know, get in on what he's doing because he's definitely spreading the word about some great things going on in Detroit.
1: Thank you.